greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 160th edition of Cinema Effect. My name is Jaden, and I am joined by PTA's number one fanboy, uh, Liam. Hello. How are you? Decent. 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 Um, does Zach usually allow for Bandit to hear, or does he get straight into it? I can't remember, even though I sit through every one of these. Uh, he occasionally engages in some light banter. Some light banter, yeah. Do you have anything for me? Any banter? Um, Any banter? Not really. I mean, my chest rating has plummeted a little bit. Plummeted? Whoa. Yeah. 180. I was, I'm down 180. Shit. I was at 14.95, down to like 13.20 in two days. I shouldn't have even played. I was just tired, you know? When you're down bad, you need to know when to stop, you know? Yeah, but I don't, I don't really know when to stop. So. Yeah. yeah. I should probably find out who directed this movie, shouldn't I? Mm, yeah. Oh, Michelle Gondry directed this movie. Michelle or Michael? I thought it was Michael. I thought it was Michael, but I was listening. I was listening to some people talk behind the scenes, and apparently it's Michelle. He's a French guy. Ah, yeah. Right. Um. So this week we're talking about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um. It was directed by Michelle Gondry, written by him and Charlie Kaufman, which is exciting because Kaufman now becomes a friend of the show. Um. And it stars mm. Jim Carrey and uh, Kate Winslet. Um. The film's about uh jim carrey's character trying to erase winslet from his mind after finding out that she had the same procedure done and uh it's a it's a it's a nifty little film from 2004 liam this is your multiple times watching it i'm not sure um and i think you do quite like it um what are are your opening yeah um yeah i think it's my like fourth or fifth time um fourth or fifth go around uh yeah, I, I really love it. I think it's, you know, it's really amazing. It's hard to fault the uh, relationship um, between between Joel and Clementine is really awesome. Their chemistry is great. And just the concept is super, you know, well executed, well edited. Um, it's interesting. It plays really well. So, yeah, I just love it. How about you? Um. Yeah, this looks so like it's um, like there was a super disorientating kind of beginning, and it it, it took me out of the whole film, and it just felt too messy to appreciate anything about the artistry of the start. Um, but as it continued, you know, it obviously straightened out and it gave way to a really kind of fucking beautiful and intoxicating relationship. Um, and every technique they kind of use to convey the memories being stripped away as Joel fights to remember, um, it kind of shatters you, and and that and that relationship that's initially kind of jarring you know, I was able to buy into and it just became completely devastating. Um, it's kind of melancholic in a very purest definition, you know. Um, uh, I think this is a film that kind of will work better on a rewatch just in being able to navigate that first 20 minutes. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think, I, th- I think what does, what does come and once, once you do understand it, I think, um, I think it becomes a really strong kind of story. Um. About halfway through the film, I did. It did become clear to me that the opening was an alternative meeting, um, and likely something that was meant to happen post procedure. But I'm not sure. Was that meant something I was meant to figure out earlier, or was that something I was not meant to figure out at all? Am I just dumb? Am I smart? Maybe. No, I think. I don't think you're meant to figure it out earlier. I think you're supposed to think that's the first time they met. Okay. When the film starts, and then later explains that yeah, that does happen. The day after, or the morning after he gets it, the procedure done, they meet for the second time. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like, despite being able to piece that together, like, um, 
I thought it'd kind of flatten the end, end of the film because I thought that's kind of where it'd leave off. But like, it is then able to deliver these kind of gut punches again in that kind of um, that final acceptance that they will learn to hate things about each other, but are still willing to love each other now. Is uh, I think probably like a, one of the most romantic things I've seen on the screen, to be honest. Um, oh yeah, yeah. The hallway scene's really great. Yeah, this film's able to rescue itself in a way like that. Not rescue itself, obviously, but like just from from my opinion, um, was able to rescue itself in a way that I haven't really seen before. Um, to completely flip me like that. Okay, cool. They got you back with the with got the me back big time. Yeah. yeah. Um, where do we begin? Do we begin with the cast? Yeah. Yeah. Jim Carrey, old man. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet. I thought I thought that was it going into this film. I had no idea. I thought this was gonna be like super low key aside from the two big stars. But this fucking cast is stacked, man. It's got Frodo yeah, it really Baggins. Yeah. It's got it's got it's got the music producer from Alvin and the Chipmunks. It's got a uh, Bruce Banner. Yeah. Bruce Banner yeah. and Mary Jane. The Chipmunks villain. Great yeah, villain yeah. of the week. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's, uh, what's, what's his name in the movie? Alan? Is it? No. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, don't know. I don't remember. Mr. Worldwide. It's ironic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's something that really shocked me. Um, and so it was kind of fun discovering the cast each time um, someone popped up. And especially when Elijah Wood popped up, I was, I was shocked when he knocked on that window. <laughs> um, so that was quite fun. Does the cast do much for you um, on this rewatch? Too much? Um, when we get to Curse and Dance, it's kind of like, damn, we're really you know, pushing this. Pushing it, pushing the stacked cast here, but no, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's really great seeing these actors in, in different roles. Um, I mean, Jim Carrey, first of all, you know, obviously, this is very different from what he usually does. I think it's his probably like his best dramatic performance. I don't, I haven't seen many dramatic performances from him. I think um, the other big one's Kidding, isn't it? The TV series, is it? Kidding, oh, yeah, yeah, he he played like a like a TV host or something in that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in, in terms of uh, dramatic roles, yeah, I think this is the most fully fledged kind of character performance I've seen from him. And he really just like inhabits Joel really well. Uh, it's Joel's like, you know, he's kind of introverted and he's quiet. It's very opposite his normal personality. I, mm. I watched a video of them like on set and it's really jarring because he acts just like Jim Carrey on set, you know, like totally opposite um, yeah. to how Joel is. And you know how they had like the bed in the film that was like in random spots sometimes, like on the beach or whatever. Yeah. He, he would like drive that around set. And so like the video was just him, like, you know, just singing and jumping on the bed and stuff. I'm like, Oh, this is so, this is so weird. Um, but it looks like they had a lot of fun on set you know because there was so much creativity to the sets and there was just so much you know there was so much juice out of the script by itself but um it would have been such a i don't know a creative and fun environment yeah i um i was reading the trivia about the way like they were directed and how like um kate was told to like she like gondry would tell her that this is a comedy and to play her character super over the top and, and, and he would tell Carrie, you know, in private or like, you know, like without Kate, that this is a drama to be super serious. Um, and I think it's a really interesting choice that to, 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 to flip those roles, probably a very conscious one. Um, obviously a very conscious one. 
I don't think you make a film like this without thinking everything through 6,000 times. Um, but in just flipping the roles that, you know, Kerry is known for that boisterousness and uh, at, by that point, Winslet was a pretty solid dramatic actor, actress, actor, mm. I think. Over like um, Titanic and, yeah. Yeah, so that, I think that was fantastic to see as well. Um, it's interesting as well, also just seeing how when Gondry uh, approached Kerry for the role or when they were having their meetings or whatever, um, Kerry was in like a super depressive mood apparently um, and and Gondry like asked him, he's like, he, he was like, you're so beautiful now, you're so broken, please do not get better um, <laughs> because he wanted that kind of brokenness for the film. Um, so, you know, that pain we see Kerry go through is sometimes real, um, but it, it, it is super effective, um, obviously. Um, and the way that like... Um, the way they bonded on set and the way they kind of drove the emotion apparently was because they would like relate to real heartbreaks that they, that they, that they experienced. Um, and, and I think it all just culminates into a really strong, really strong stuff from Carrie and, and, and Winslet as well. Yeah. Yeah. Winslet's really strong in the film. Um, I don't know. She's, she's, I guess she's a quirky character, but never in a way that's like cringe or annoying to me. She's, she's just very, uh, she's very real, and they even address that in the film. Like, she's not like a concept or something that's going to complete them. She's just, you know, someone looking for their own peace of mind. So, yeah, she's yeah, very nice character. So apparently, like this is like the first like manic pixie kind of right, dream yeah. girl on screen. But like, even as it even as it, as it was like the first major example, it still rebels against what came to define that character as being a piece yeah. it's a man um so i think it's a really interesting way to say that you know the you know the, the kind of like what it was kind of derived into being the exact opposite of what it was conceived as um yeah that's what that's what i was talk- kind of talking about that term manic pixie dream girl because like the term is like often misused or sometimes the movie like addresses it directly like in this case um you know where well, she where she does have that line um, you know, well, well, you know, she thinks guys gonna, uh, she's gonna complete the guy's life or change it completely. You know, liven it up. Um, and obviously, to an extent, that is what she does for Joel. But that, you know, that could you could argue that's all relationships. You know, the first mm-hmm. stage of a relationship is bright and exciting. Yeah. Well, um, apparently, in like an alternative cut of the film or an alternative ending, um, you see like a really old, um, Clementine going to into the dream clinic. Um, asking for the procedure again and then when you look at the screen um it says it shows like she's had a history of like forgetting joel barish like 15 16 times oh. so, um each time i guess she doesn't fix him wow that's very charlie kaufman that sounds like something that comes right out of synecdoche new york or something that's yeah mm. but they opted for the happier ending or seemingly happier ending um of acceptance mm. would you have preferred to have it end on that kind of you know, uh, depressing note. Yeah. No, no. I like I like where it ends. Um, yeah, like the film definitely has its melancholic you know, elements, as you said, and um, like because it is mainly about heartbreak and forgetting. Um, but like, it, it's not a sad film to me. I, I don't think there's just like, you know, th- there's a lot of demonstration of like joy in the film and it does end on 
a high note, which kind of makes it not a sad experience for me per se. Mm. Yeah. I definitely did feel like it was sad. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, um, even even in that final kind of gesture that occurs. Um, um it it is it is sad, but I, I don't think that overwhelming like the major experience is sadness. Yeah, for me. Yeah. So I I I wrote this down, but like I'm like because I'm, I'm, I'm catering to you. Um, for me, like the, like while the two films aren't entirely comparable, um, but this is if I was if I was to look at Punch Drunk Love and this together, this is leagues beyond Punch Drunk Love. Um, and I kind of only bring it up because each both star this kind of notorious comedy actor taking on like a dramatic serious turn and they both kind of have their absurdist kind of moments um all of this is amplified far more um how did the two compare for you if you could compare them if you can't yeah um punch drunk love i think well i think punch drunk love still like far much of a comedy and uses adam sandler's like persona and skills uh, in the traditional kind of way, like when he has his kind of anger outbursts. Right, punch drunk love was meant to be funny. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah. A lot of these techniques that they that they kind of show throughout the film about um, with with Joel's memories erasing are, are, are done like practically apparently, but I think there is a fair bit of CGI to supplement it, especially in the bookstore, as you kind of see all the titles and the details vanishing, mm. um, which is really sick. Um, do you have like a particularly favorite kind of like moment of like a of a memory being taken away or like just I don't know I think when they do like when they have like people's faces being being like totally like identityless like that's a really eerie that was really eerie um but like emotionally I think I mean the house crumbling you know yeah. is awesome when they're having their last kind of conversation and Joel's like, he's narrating it as it's happening, kind of. Um, I mean, that's the thing about the movie is that, you know, the fact that it's happening in Joel's mind while he's having this procedure and he's remembering um, back on his experiences, uh, he's able to interject himself and and change them and talk to his, you know, the people in his life, in his head, I guess, the characters in his head um, in fun and interesting ways. Um, which, yeah, they constantly reinvent it and make it entertaining. What about you? What's your favorite thing with someone? I, 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 I do, I do love the house crumbling at the end. Cause I think that is just when everything kind of hits the most. And I also love like, obviously the, the, the kind of meet me in Montauk and, you know, since it's the, the, the creation of a new memory, so they can't erase it. Cause he's, um, I think that's all really beautiful and I think it really super strong. Um, so I think the house scene does kind of win out just cause like it does feel by that point, um, by that point, everything's just hitting just thematically and technically. Um, cause you've kind of been plunged into these sequences of darkness and they kind of like illuminated by like a single spotlight or, what, um, a few times. So, so, and then the way the kind of light shifts around in the house and then, the exterior shots of it crumbling and then carrying the car. I think it, it all just, it all just works so fantastically. Um, but I think there, there, there are tons of strong stuff throughout the film. Um, yeah. yeah that, definitely that's, hard to pin down. Yeah. That's probably the one that I'm going to grasp onto the most. 
don't know. This is uh, one of your big films. Where 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 do we go, where do we go from here? What, what, where do we go? Uh, I mean, I guess we could go with the concept and Kaufman in general. Um, right. So I guess this is a, a sci-fi film. It's described as a sci-fi film because there's obviously not something that happens in real life yet. Uh, but yeah, I think the concept is, is is super awesome and delivered really well. I love how like. The doctor Tom Wilkinson's character says, "Uh, you know, it basically is brain damage," um, and I think I don't know. I'm just surprised this hasn't been done before. I mean, they probably has actually. You know, the concept of removing someone from your memory, but um, I haven't seen a movie do this on this scale to this like, you know, this well. I guess. Yeah. Mm. I think the concept comes from this uh, Pierre Bismuth dude who uh, who is also credited as a as a writer primarily. Oh, okay. Um, and I think that dude's pissed off because he often gets uh, he he often gets uh, forgotten when people are talking about the uh, creation of the film. But yeah, I, I think the concept is still today super unique because I think typically what you see in sci-fi or fantasy when there is kind of this kind of erasure component is 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 erasing. You know, it's 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 you erasing yourself. Whereas now you are erasing this other person, um, mm. yeah. And I think obviously the way they, they the, the way they treat it is also very unique. I think it. I I I'd, I'd love to know like if because I, I, so the whole film is told from Kerry's aspect. We 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 never really get a switch, um, and we see how desperately he fights against the procedure once it starts. And I, I'm curious to know whether Clementine. I assume she would, considering that. Um, they get back together, but I'm, I'm curious as to whether she fought against it as well. That's interesting. I guess, I don't know, like on that little machine they have that Mark Ruffalo is operating, they're able to like target specific memories and stuff. So I imagine their job is to kind of keep them on track if they, you know, try to escape it or whatever, or like hide the memories of the person in someone else. Mm. But they do say that he, like, Joel is unique. He's in that he's like developing a, what do they say, like a resistance to the procedure and stuff like that. I imagine a lot of people, like halfway through, have some doubts or something. How how important to you are the first twenty minutes? So of that of that meeting post procedure, do you think if it was replaced with just twenty minutes of the regular relationship? the story would be effect as effective or do if you think you could remove it all entirely and just jump straight into the procedure at the start you know is is that is that is that is that first meeting or second meeting is that important to show at the start for you yeah cuz i think it like kind of just grounds grounds the movie into like a, a relationship centric uh film primarily cuz like like just seeing the dynamic in their reactions you kind of like learn everything you, that you need to know about their characters and how they interact with, with each other in the first 20 minutes um and kind of the the chemistry that they have as well so i think it's a great yeah demonstration of that um before we kind of go you know balls to the wall what do you think yeah uh, well it's 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 something i was debating with myself like um because I, I like I don't see why it wouldn't be just as effective to have twenty minutes of just 
good moments of the existing relationship and then a hard cut or you know to 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 this kind of breakup point um obviously it'd be a lot more straightforward okay um, do, you, do you mean like a montage or something yeah like... yeah hmm. not not necessarily like a, a rapid cut one but just you know key moments spend some time with them but mostly happy and then you hard cut to this kind of you know where it is and then i think i think it'd still achieve it would achieve, it'd achieve a similar effect to first time viewers but on the se- on second times around it would never be as effective as what this opening is is kind of what i would uh, is, is what oh, okay because of because it's confusing on the first watch yeah okay yeah i mean i think i think the movie like because it jumps through memories so much i think including it at the, at the start as a montage would be a little i don't know like unstable or something but true yeah, I mean, obviously, we're not meant to to, to, to fully get into the nitty gritty of it, but like, how do, how does how does the procedure work? Like, for example, with that dude that that lives in the same apartment building where he asks about Clementine, because obviously, like, he's not going to forget. So, what happens if he asks about Clementine to Jim Carrey the next day? And then, like, you know, mm. well, he he gets the le- the letter from Lacuna. Um, we see that he gets like the yellow oh, the yellow notice. Okay. Uh... So everyone in his life gets like the yellow notice. Oh, does that go to everyone that that, that that was affected by it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, everyone that knows what about him and Clementine, I guess. Would um would you have this procedure done? Because <laughs> we're showing that it's, it's not only for loved ones. Like someone's trying to forget their dog. That's yeah, Buster. Died. Yeah. Uh, um. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, I don't think I'd forget. Don't forget a whole person, you know, mm. so much. Maybe specific memories. Yeah, but, yeah. Partial brain damage. Mm. I can live with that. <laughs> the the film is just able to constantly nail moods as it moves through. Um, every time, um, from this kind of melancholic depression to this kind of childhood wondrousness. Um, and I think a big part of that is the music. I think the music's stunning. And then even at the end, when they're bolting off on the page and it kind of fades to credits, um, do you have any, oh, yeah. any, any opinions on the music? Oh yeah. I love the music. Definitely. Definitely one of my favorite soundtracks. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I definitely listen to themes individually on their own. Um, I think they're, they have this like reverse like reverb kind of quality to them that really adds to the film um you know the main song they use everything everyone's gonna learn sometimes is really cool uh and like they use the music in really inventive ways like that 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 song is like um playing deep in the background sometimes mm-hmm. and they kind of you know reuse different themes and mingle them together and stuff Based on the mood, as you said. I guess on that kind of mention of like the the different way they kind of use the songs and you know, how how much here, um, I I I don't think it'd be understand understated how like technically wonderful this film is, um, just mm. in 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 what it presents, um, and the and the and the methods they they go about it, um. And we we obviously spoke about two of those. It is primarily in the dream sequences that, that they do this, and we, we we already mentioned two of them. Um, but even like um in uh in that in that scene where he gets transported to being four four years old again, 
like the way they shot that was um was just like with false perspective oh yeah the false perspective that was, um, that was sick and, and and i think there is like just lots of fun kind of ingenious kind of methods um even towards the end um so like when clem's walking and and the car falls from the sky that's obviously cgi but um you know later on a lot of that is um it, it, there is a ton a shit ton of practical stuff as well apparently um yeah yeah no the false perspective is, is a great example um i mean that was just hilarious to me you know that's always just hilarious seeing jim carrey as a kid um but yeah the film is super inventive i mean they you know they have like two different sets two different like environments in the, in the same set often like it'll be raining in the house or, you know, Jim Carrey will be filled up with snow in the car, um, you know, when he's leaving the house in his mind, leaving the beach house in his mind, um, and stuff like that. Like like I said, they had the they had the bed car, the Volkswagen bed car on set, and they drove it around so they could put it in different locations and shit. So, it, yeah, it just seemed like a super fun time on set, and the practical inventiveness is, yeah, super strong. How was how was your first viewing of this film? If you if you can remember, was it was it always as strong as it is now, or um, is it something that comes up? No, I don't know. Maybe maybe slightly weaker. Um, but I've always I've always kind of loved it. But I think over, over time, some rewatches it has gotten gotten stronger. Mm. Um, yeah, but the, like the first experience was, you know. Fresh experience is always, you know, one of the best anyway. So yeah. And you've seen you've seen a bit of Kaufman's work, haven't you? Right? Like you've seen Yeah, I've seen Synecdoche and Oh, I've seen uh like being John Malkovich and adaptation, yeah, a few times, yeah. Have you seen anything else from uh from Gondry? Gondry? I think Gondry also did one of those. I think he also did did Malkovich, maybe? Yeah. One of those, yeah. Because it, it um it blew my mind when I clicked on his fucking name on letterbox, and the two films I'd seen from him now were Eternal Sunshine, and then right next to it was fucking Green Hornet. Oh yeah. Um, and I was like, "There's no way this dude goes from." This oh no, he just he, he didn't do Malkovich. I guess he just yeah. The main thing he did was that, but yeah, I've seen, uh, I've seen a lot of covers. Oh, Spike Jones. That's why I get confused. Yeah. Because Spike Jones did adaptation as well, and yeah, they're both Kaufman scripts. But um, I mean, it shows the strength of Kaufman's writing that he doesn't direct these films, and he, you know, he still has this like super strong creative voice that comes through. Well, he he so he did direct. Um, I'm thinking of anything. Is yeah, do you think that you ended up being? A stronger kind of representation of his writing than it has been than when someone else comes into his projects or do you think they go, they're both pretty similar and they're both equally strong um well i think i actually like when kaufman doesn't direct yeah uh, more because anomalisa synecdoche and i'm thinking many things are probably weaker in my mind than the films that he's just written um the earlier films so yeah, I don't know. Maybe, 
I don't know what it is exactly, but the, those three films are like way sadder. They they seem way more depressing than the other ones. You know, mm-hmm. I think the other directors give give yeah a bit more happiness and life to the characters, but they seem um, like a kind of irony in the script that he doesn't see himself. Oh, um, you know, I I don't know what it is, but I think. I think he need, he's like a he's like a depressing like line in the cage or something. You know, a, a cage line, a line that needs to be caged a bit. <laughs> it's a bit too depressing. Mark Mark Ruffalo was here. Mark Ruffalo turned out to be great. I thought it was going to be a bit of a dick about a character that appears for a second, mm. um, but then obviously everything that happens with him and the relationship. Um, I think he, did, he he ended up being a super strong performance in my opinion. Not, oh yeah, yeah. Not that anyone else isn't super strong, um, but yeah. He was a super strong kind of, I don't know, like he's kind of a geek, I guess. I don't know. He had mm. a very strong, uh, he, he had a very strong style. He just had kind of this, you know, this jazzed up hair and shit. Um, but he seemed like a pretty chill dude. Um, and then you had Elijah Wood, who was kind of this sleazy guy who stole, you know, he stole all the Clementine stuff. And he steals Joel's identity, kind of, he says the things that Joel said to Clementine and tries to kind of tries to win her over by being Joel, mm. um, which was super funny. Yeah. That kind of final scene of her yelling at him to fuck off. Like, um, I don't know what it struck in me, but it struck like this really like kind of deep chord because like at that point, I think you're so desperately rooting for Joel that his attempts just seem so fucking, I don't know. Um, shitty i i don't mm. know i can't think of another word but like um like like that uh like that was a very uh, like that was a very tense kind of scene i think um although it was her just her telling him to piss off but like um I, I, like i think i like i i don't know i can't really describe but it, it that, that that's probably like one of the scenes that actually struck the most now that i think about it yeah she's it's like she senses that it's kind of around doing something dodgy um he even like gave her the gift that joel bought her <laughs> and he's like and she's like oh what's in it and he's like oh i don't know because <laughs> he doesn't know did you know that that uh that 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 circus i think they call it a circus oh it was uh, improvised was real yeah yeah you just yeah. rock up on set one day and they're like oh yeah we could shoot here because it kind of fits the thing oh yeah and uh Jim Carrey disappearing. Oh no, sorry, Kate Winslet disappearing was like it, it. It evoked a real reaction from Jim Carrey because he didn't know that was going to happen. So oh, wow. audio, he actually says Kate, but it, it, like it's it's muted out in the movie. Right, later she yanked her off set or something. She ran off the set. Yeah, I don't know. Just, yeah. just, just disappeared just for good. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that scene there when they they do the quote thing where they say the title of the movie. You know, mm-hmm. but I mean, the quote is super strong, and Kirsten's, Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst's uh, narration is really awesome. Oh, I like, I like to, I like, I like this little tidbit. Uh, the small computer hooked up to the memory raising headset is an old Armstrad PPC five twelve, um, and apparently it had a reputation for having limited memory. Ah, um, uh, so I thought that was a really cute detail. Hmm. Um, Very nice. It's definitely it's a short movie. Well, yeah, I was, I was, I was actually surprised. I thought I was going, I thought I was getting into a fucking two-hour, twenty-minute kind of epic 
romance, but yeah, I was I was very pleased. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, still decent length. Like it's definitely not it's not it's not a ninety minute film, but um, it's a uh, yeah. I think it's a pretty kind of healthy runtime to show what you needed. I guess you're getting into the nitty gritty of it, like the little tiffs they have in the in the film. You know, the actual the relationship problems and drama is really great. Um, even how they show that with the, you know, the Elvin and the Chipmunks character, uh, him and his wife are always kind of arguing about small things like him banging away at a birdhouse in, in the mm. house. Um, but like, I don't know, just really random specific things like, uh, well, Clementine always kind of bags Joel for his, like, you know, this is one of Joel's, another one of Joel's self-fulfilling prophecies or whatever. Um, you know, his pessimism, I guess, is something that she has a grudge against. And then, you know, like personal, hy- like hygiene things they bring up as well, um, which is just, you know, I guess that's uh, not the issue itself, but it's a way that the the, the problems in the relationship kind of come out in argument. But, I mean, yeah, like the way that they argue in the film is really solid and seems real, really real, you know. I kind of wish I had a, a more direct way to relate to the to, to the film. Oh yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'm, I'm, you know, wishing for heartbreak on like a fucking unknown scale, but you know. I mean, I, I guess hats off to the uh, the editing as well. You know, this would this film would have been a monster to edit. Um, Apparently, it was shot in sequence, like uh, in. Oh really? Yeah. Hmm. I guess they didn't have to do too much like rearranging of shit, and that's why like um I was I was, I was also reading like um Kate Winslet's like hair was wigs not dyed because like some days it would require her to flip the hair, you know like mm. on the day so she had blue and green. Oh and okay, so they didn't do it as they like filmed all the all the blue hair shots and they filmed all yeah. the orange hair shots. That's I mean I'm sure, I'm sure it'd still be a fucking massive job to edit, um but yeah I guess it wasn't too much like having to splice around like um like i i I don't think i will ever get over the feelings that that kind of get evoked later in the film from an audience perspective like not 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 kind of an empathy of of for the characters but like just like a just just what each segment kind of you know yeah how like just how it's how different segments position me i I just think it, it, it like the more i think about it the more i kind of look back on it it's just the stronger it is and the more kind of unique i feel each one is um i don't know like, well, I, should like, have a, I, mean, I should have a similar thing where like it's just like this kind of incredibly strong kind of attachment to things in, in this film right you mean like what immersion like the different memories evoke that kind of thing uh, not even just the memories but like that like the, the the one that pops up is like the kind of I guess it is kind of. I guess it's, it's a memory, but like it's it's kind of Joel disorientated as he kind of like navigates. Like kind of, it feels like multiple different memories kind of all disappearing at the same time. Is one of those shots where it's like blacked out and there's like that spotlight that kind of moves mm. around, like kind of highlighting it. I think what that kind of yeah, how, how that made me, how that made me feel is just unique. Mm. And I think that's all. I think I think that's forever going to be the case of this film. I think it's always going to be unique. To be honest. Unless they remake it, um, but you know, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It still feels it still feels unique, even after rewatching it, uh, never the fourth time, or whatever. And um, no, yeah, you're you're totally right. Like the uniqueness of the sequences and like the specificity of the emotion that it, it evokes is very, um, yeah, very very special. I'm uh. I'm happy to end it there, if you are. Yeah, I think I'm good. Liam, what's your uh, final verdict? Well, Jaden... For Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I'm I'm going to give this film um, the big the big kahuna. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Wow. Uh, Stone Cold Masterpiece. Yeah. How about you? Um, I, I think that's an entirely valid perspective, and I, I, think, I think eventually I will... If I ever do rewatch this, I, I think I can perceive it better. Um, but I think at the moment I'm gonna have to put an eight on it. Um, an eight. An eight after everything I've said. <laughs> um, because of, because cause, you know, like I, I, I like um, although like you know I've I've talked I've talked the hell out out of it like and it, it definitely does deserve all this praise. I think yeah. I undersold how much I was taking out of the film by that kind of early sequence. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Sequencing. Um, so I think it definitely does warrant a rewatch to kind of fully appreciate, um, but it it is still incredibly strong. Uh, yeah, eight out of ten for me. Righto, moving swiftly onwards into news chat, um, and we actually got a pretty decent news chat this week, considering the past couple of weeks. Um, we can quick fire a few of these because some of them are short. Um, you you did watch the Priscilla teaser, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we feel about that? Forty-five seconds. Um, you know, yeah, it looks alright. Looks good. It's good. We got J.K. Bellardi there as Elvis, the kissing booth guy. Yeah, the kissing booth guy. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's a Sophia. I, I forgot it's a Sophia Coppola film, which is cool. I think the interesting thing is that this is, this is coming out so closely to the Elvis. Baz Luhrmann film coming out. Um, do you think it's going to be like? I think it's inevitable people are going to compare Jacob and Austin. Um, oh right, yeah, yeah. Think yeah. Like, have you seen the film? I was going to like, like, do you think it's going to step on the toes of each other in terms of what they present? Uh no, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Okay. But um, I, Austin does look a lot. He, I, I think he embodies like. I mean, I've seen like clips and stuff. I think. Uh, he embodies Elvis really well. It looks a lot like him. Um, and I mean, this movie isn't, you know, it isn't about Elvis per se. Yeah. So maybe it'll be, but I'm, I'm sure that conversation will still, yeah, totally happen. Um, righto. We also got a Challengers trailer. Uh, this is the new Luca G film uh, starring Zendaya. Yep. Um, how'd that one make you feel? Um... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it looks alright. Yeah, yeah, not gonna lie, it, 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 it did fuck all for me either. Um, yeah, I think I think it was a lot of fun on Twitter afterwards seeing everyone make comments about Tom Holland watching the trailer. Um, mm, you, you got entertainment from that. Yeah, but but the, the trailer itself didn't really show me much. But you know, I guess he is a slice of life director, and this feels very slice of life. Um, just not much to comment on at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely an element of like. You know, 
sports film kind of thing, but it does mm. feel like it's more about they are the little triangle thing they have going on. Triangle thing. Well, triangle tiff yeah. kind of thing. Did you end up watching the Fear of the Night trailer? No. Yes, maybe. No. I wait. What was that called? Fear of the Night. Fear of the Night. No, I didn't. No. No. I was, I was just, um, it's just a new Maggie Q film. It, it looks a lot like Your Next, um, which is where, where, where these women are going to get hunted down over the course of one night. That sounds a lot more malicious than what it was meant to be. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, Why do you love that film, Jerry? <laughs> no, nah, your, your Next is about a family getting hunted down um, by, by these contract killers. Uh, this one is just takes it and makes it an all-female cast. Um, so that looks exciting. Yeah. Uh, not because women are getting killed, um, just because it looked like a, a, a film I, li- I really like. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and wrapping up the trailers, we got Craven the Hunter as well, the uh, the new Sony Marvel film. It looks like it could be another misstep, but it also looks like it could just be dumb fun. But then again, so did Morbius. Morbius? Comparing this to Morbius? It's the same studio, same kind of fucking uh, deal. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It, it looks all right. It doesn't yeah. look like a Morbius, but mm. the action looks pretty decent. I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'll watch it, but you know, Aaron Taylor Jones looks competent. Um, not really, not really. No. I'll, I'll be honest. No. <laughs> um, Russell Crowe was in the trailer as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think mm. he's the dad. Yeah. Mm. That surprised me. I had no idea he was involved. And. I, I, we kind of did quick fire through all this. So I, I guess I will mention uh, bring it up. Um, Secret Invasion, the the new Marvel Disney TV show, used AI to create its title sequence, um, and it looks shit ass uh, as well. Is, uh-huh. is, is the main issue? But in our in our pre discussion, you 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 expressed that this didn't really annoy you too much already, which surprised me. Um, so, um, so wait, what is exactly the title sequence? So that's like. Oh, you just mean like like the credits, right? Like the opening, yeah, the opening credits, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you just meant like the font or something, but okay. Yeah, I didn't really look at it, but if it's small, I don't mind. You know, if it's like guided by a lot of designers and it's small, it's like yeah, you might not even know it's AI. But this one, looking at it, definitely does look like AI. Yeah. I think um, a lot of creatives and a lot of industry people have really taken this as a slap in the face, especially while the ride strikes going on, and while it seems like it seems like studios are trying to actively erase creatives and replace them, um, which I think is why this is being taken so harshly. Um, mm. I think it is stupid as well, especially when you look at other because it's it, it look it's nothing special either. It is just still images with a with, with a little bit of a swirl, and like you've seen it done shit tons of other times to a far better effect um and this choice really just does confuse me and they try to defend it because i think the director came out with the statement probably forced by the studio to say the 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 title sequence is meant to be aid in the commentary about what's human or what's scroll in the film is meant to be you know what's human or what's fucking ai in the title sequence um which is really cheap and fucking bullshit if i ever seen one but does that explanation work for you at all um it's meant to enhance the show's themes um, i don't know it does seem a bit corporate cop out cop outy mm. yeah definitely sets yeah. a bad precedent yeah i think i think it's interesting as well just because the, there was recently a discussion about the ai used in creating spider-verse in that it was often used to 
like to, to for simple keyframes just to take out the monotony and streamline the task for a lot of animators and like i think that's a fair that's a fair use of ai because it's it's right, okay, it, yeah. it is used by creators and it's still got a massive fucking team of a thousand people or whatever and it's used to aid the job whereas this is literally taking and replacing job okay yeah, yeah. that's the kind of thing i thought this was but um yeah if it's like if it, if it, if it's like touching up the film in that way then yeah i think that's okay Next, we go to what we've been watching. Um, Liam, big week for you. Oh. Um, I've been watching this show, but I can't talk about it yet. I, I got to get further yeah. in, you know. Um, but I watched Triangle of Sadness, uh, which is a uh, oh, who's the director like Ruben Osland or something. I don't know. Um, That's the one that got nominated for awards last year, right? Yeah, it, it got nominated for a few awards. I mean, it was at the Oscars, yeah. Hmm. It won some shit. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was pretty good. Um, it's very, you know, it's very it's very social commentary type film. It's very heavy, um, very heavy handed about it. Um, but I think as some people have said about the film, that's kind of part of the fun, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's a very funny film. Uh, it, it's a satire of uh, kind of rich people on a boat, I guess, you know. So, very Joker, very society. Uh, but, like, it does have some extremely funny sequences, and um, it ends on a, uh, a good note, too. So, uh, yeah. It, it's very long, which is probably the only issue. Oh, is it? Really? It's like 2 hours 20. Oh, I would never expect a film like that to be two hours twenty. To be honest, yeah. Mm. Yeah, neither. Yeah, but it's broken up into three parts, so they oh, try to do three nights. Yeah, like <laughs> an episode, like TV. Yeah. Um. So I guess it tries to do each part justice, uh, which some people like had an issue with the. Part. I thought I thought it was okay. I thought it was good, but yeah, good film. Good film. I don't think I really watched anything too exciting. I did. I I I I I did rewatch through nolan's batman trilogy and i did start rewatching the batman before i was interrupted um and i i, I kind of took this on because it, it, it annoyed me how much that batman to me now was just pattinson and matt reeves and giacchino you know like everything like like um just because the the, the the batman when it did come out last year did become my favorite superhero movie of all time favorite fucking movie of last year i think mm. did i say that uh, maybe hey, did i say that last uh, year? i think so Probably. yeah um so i want to see you know just how, how does it stack up against nolan's films after not watching them for a while um and like it is it, it is just it has just com- almost completely erased him like i started watching batman begins and i was expecting to hear jay chino's batman theme yeah and i was like oh hold on what's going on um and even Bale, I'm like, I'm less convinced on Bale now after seeing Pattinson. Oh, no. And um, and even the world of Gotham, I think Gotham in Batman Begins is really cool, and because we kind of get to see this like sleazy, unique kind of depiction of it before it moves away into this more kind of standardized city um, mm. of Chicago and then New York kind of styles. Um, whereas the one in Batman still kind of has this kind of gothic kind of through line. Um, 
but um yeah watching them again was great like and, and, and I, I still did have a lot of fun with them especially with bane you know I, i'll always give tom hardy a shout especially because people like to talk shit about it um so like like i don't want to i don't, don't want to make it sound like there's a negative experiences now they're still really strong but like yeah considering that bale is the batman that i technically technically grew up with um pattinson has right. kind of become the main one well, it's been uh, overtaken yeah yeah i guess ben affleck is technically the one we grew up with like in terms of like he was like around during like, like the big formative years of comics i guess but like i think it was always bail for me up until pattinson yeah yeah i don't know uh, if he appreciates ben affleck but like i don't put much stake in him at all yeah no neither but i don't i wouldn't say yeah i wouldn't say we grew up with him either i think like, well, what was the first one? More personally, I think, because Ben Affleck kind of... Like, like his Batman was when I was peak into comics, you know? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like Bale was kind of the one that I was more familiar with, like, as a child. And, and But, yeah, I think when I was kind of most into all that, it was Affleck. But I still mm. never fully bought into him. I don't know. Moving on to our question of the week. Uh, last week we asked you who is your favorite villain of the week slash minor villain. This was inspired by Andy and Spider Verse. Um, we have had some submissions, thank God, late because we are recording this early. Um, Luke says a good villain of the week in Criminal Minds was actually a cameo from Mark Hamill. It was super random, especially since I'm sure he'd rather he had better things to do, uh, like appearing as a trickster on the Flash as a villain of the week. He probably has the MVP for that. Also, Giancarlo Esposito appeared in random episodes of Bones, which is so strange in retrospect because he looks so young and nothing like any of his characters from Breaking Bad or, or The Boys. Uh, FYI, the trickster is a discount joker, which is even more meta. Um, Mark Hamill loves doing quirky little shit, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Yeah, by the looks of it. Yeah. Like, he, like he, he, he voiced the Joker in mm. the animated series for, like, what, fucking six years? However long? I'm sure. I'm sure. He, like, he's definitely not above Criminal Minds, you know. Right. Yeah, I guess so. That's true. Mm. Um, Andy says the best villain of the week type character I can think of is Robbie Rotten from Lazy Town. Don't think that's right. Um, no way he's going to take over the world. Or minor villain in film or TV. I might choose Ernie, the giant chicken from a Family Guy. He occasionally appears like every five seasons for fist fights with Peter Griffin. Yeah. The I am number one guy. Sorry? The yeah, Iron Man number one. Uh, Are we a number yeah. one? Whatever it is. But uh, Spooky did call him out on that answer, and Andy has conceded that it probably is a bit wrong. Uh, and, and, and I am here to tell you that it is definitely definitely mm. not in line with what we were asking, I don't think. Uh, we, we forced the hand a bit. Oh, did, did you ask Andy <laughs> to put a question yeah. in? Did you ask Andy to put a question in, or was it just serendipitous? No, nah, he, just, he, just, he just did that. Okay. Uh, unfortunate um considering it was andy's question i, I, was, I was i was not gonna lie andy i was hoping for stronger stuff but robbie rotten main villain lazy town i don't know mm. uh liam who is your favorite villain of the week um glad you asked Jaden. um i was thinking so i was thinking supernatural or doctor who um Oh, because you're working with the Supernatural at the moment, aren't you? I was, I was. Oh, you were. Um, but like, there was this one episode of Supernatural called Faith, which was like really strong. 
Um, but like the villain itself wasn't wasn't exactly strong. So um, uh, yeah, I chose against go for that. But um, I go for the Ood and Doctor Who. They're pretty. They're pretty cool. Um, they're like an example of something that looks kind of generic, but then when you get into the 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 meat of what they are, you know, their, their telepathic abilities and stuff, and their um, how they um, how the story progresses with them, it's really cool, um, especially in those you know Impossible Planet Satan Pit episodes. They really stand out. Yeah, they're really good episodes. So yeah, the Ood are a great villain of the week. My villain of the week uh, is uh, the AFL umpires. Um, <laughs> I was at the game last night, the Geelong Melbourne one, and it is, it is, it is, it is just unacceptable at this point. I don't like, I don't know how anyone can watch, sit back and watch Geelong every week and say that the umpires are in any way fair. It isn't even about you know calls being made against us. Sure, fuck it, whatever that happens, but it is. The fact of the inconsistencies of calls, the same shit would happen fucking by by the movement on, on, on opposing teams and it would be get called differently. And it happens every time. And and, and an investigation has to be has to be taken into these fucking villains because that is what they have become. They have become too important to the game and something needs to be done to control their power. Wow. Um Corrupt. corruption. Yep. <laughs> Um, even I, I, I fucking I went to a game with Finney a few years ago, and even he he turned to me. He's a Saints supporter. He's not even Geelong supporter. He turned to me. And he says, "I get what you mean now." <laughs> he said that. Wow. It is. There is something wrong there. Are you twisting his ear? Or and is no, I, I'm being dead ass. <laughs> and the the umpires are so protected that no one says you, you know commentators can't say anything, coaches can't say anything, fucking players can't say anything. So they 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 get away unpunished. They are fucking villains. Well, why do they hate Geelong? Um, Sorry? What do they got against uh, Geelong? Oh, I don't know. Fuck it. Um, it's like, look, just, just, you, you go to, you go to, I don't know, I go to like, what, eight games a season because of the home, home pass, whatever. And it, it is just every game. And it is the same for, I've been going 10 years. It is the same, man. The same. Mm, maybe it's just the same five coaches, uh, five umpires. Umpires, yeah. yeah. They're all dickheads, man. Mm. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, Killian Murphy as Scarecrow is pretty awesome. Um, he was he, he was my highlight of Batman Begins, so I will also say him. Right. right. Um, righto. I think that's it for this week, is it? I believe so. Yes. Mm. Um, next week, you and Zach are talking about Succession in a pre-recorded episode. Um, and right. as such, there is no question of the week because they will be unable to answer. Um, Succession is available on. Foxtel, Binge, HBO Max, all that. Mm-hmm. If you want to try and bring out three, four seasons in a week, four seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was meant to catch up on Succession, but I have done zero time watching it. You're meant to. Oh. Yeah, I've um, I've in, I've opted to watch Pokemon instead. Ah, uh, that's the period. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Succession ran for what four years. Pokemon's been doing twenty five. Oh, so. true. So it's home and away, but yeah. <laughs> um thanks for joining me liam uh that's okay thanks for hosting thanks too. for thanks thanks for watching listening as usual drop comments leave likes do all this shit um and we'll see you next week oh well not really but yeah i don't know
kind of. You listen next week.